0: Podcastle, episode 223, for August 28th, 2012, Five Bullets on the Banks of the Saji, by Kefi R.M. Curley. Rated R, contains some violence.
1: Hello, and welcome to Podcastle. I'm Anna Schwend, co-editor and I want to talk to you for a minute about your elementary or middle school history class. Do you remember when you first heard of the four great River Valley civilizations? I know that for most of you, it's probably been a while, but can you name any of them? Did you get all four? These civilizations all developed independently around 5,000 years ago, along the banks of rivers. They were first attempts at urbanization and encompassed all sorts of technological advances that lifted us out of the nomadic and agrarian lifestyles we'd held fast to in the Neolithic. Between two rivers in Mesopotamia, we got the wheel, cuneiform, and a code of laws. On the shores of the Nile, we got geometry, sophisticated calendars, and hieroglyphics. The Indus Valley gave us plumbing, an early mathematics which measured with great precision, and let us think about large numbers, and a mysterious script we still haven't deciphered. And along the yellow clay banks of the Huang He, we got pictograms, the idea of written history, And the compass. All of these civilizations also gave us grand monuments, some of which stand unparalleled to this day. So, what is it about rivers that so inspired humanity to discovery and greatness? The river both brings and takes away, it makes travel and trade easier. It can flood, scouring and clearing, creating a new start. But it can also sustain year over year without destruction. The river is itself, and it preserves us, but also changes us. We need the river, but it does not need us. Today's story is... Five Bullets on the Banks of the Saji. It was written by Kefi R. M. Curley, a speculative fiction writer who currently lives in Seattle. He attended Clarion UCSD in 2008. His fiction has appeared in Fantasy Magazine, Apex Online, and our sister podcast, Escape Pod. He was most recently heard on Podcastle with the Spooky Miniature 70 Accompaniment. This story is read by one of our favored narrators, Rajan Khanna, who lives in New York and is a member of the Altered Fluid Writing Group. With that, listeners, I remind you not to swim alone and to enjoy the story.
2: Five Bullets on the Banks of the Saji by Kefi R. M. Curley, read by Rajan Khanna. My city is at the fork of two rivers, where the Saji, river of my people, flows into the Corettal, a river that brings the rest of the world to us, brings empire to us, brings new spices and fabrics and magics to us, and flows away with our old selves, shed like snakeskin on the banks. Saji water runs thick with silt. It is the same red-brown as clay and the four unripe cocoa beans that my younger brother, Naje, brought back to us from the north. Naje is dead now, dead of five bullets, one for each of the northern houses, the past due payment earned by traders. The garetel is a deep and sodden green, the color of glaciers tempered by the additions of a hundred southern rivers, each devoured by the hungry waters until they run as one. My older brother, Aisha, said the color of it was more beautiful than the Saji. He is also dead now, having caught a fever from the sick men he tended. And now I am the last surviving brother too violent to heal and too soft to fight, fishing from Saji's waters with my hands gone calloused from the nets. I wake early, I sleep earlier still, and the list of things I pretend not to hear in the night has grown as long and tangled as river weeds. They stood in my doorway hours after curfew. The woman was tall and red-haired like the people of the Coretel, and the man she supported on her shoulder was sickly gray with pain, I recognized him, which was the only reason I didn't slam the door in their faces. The woman said, I am Aidi, and this is Jurede. We knew your brother. Inside. I forced the command through my constricted throat. I didn't have to ask which brother they meant. Najee's battle had found me again. Put him on the bed. A stiff breeze blew fresh river stink and the chemical charcoal smell of a building burning somewhere in the city. I lit an oil lamp, and i e d helped Jurede down onto my straw-stuffed mattress. The rusted metal bed frame creaked in protest. So his name was Jurede. I had never thought to ask, even though he was one of the few who met me regularly when I docked my boat. And he would pick through the best of my catch with a conspirator's smile. He was a year younger than myself, maybe two. I'd spent more than one night wishing I dared bring him here, wondering what he did when he wasn't on the dock waiting for me. His eyes were filmy and staring, the look of a fish gasping in the bottom of a boat. The woman brushed his hands aside and started undoing the clasps on his coat. She pulled slick fabric away from his side, and he grunted, gripping her shoulder. His wound was black and oozing green, a jagged hand shape with tendrils of rot spreading from the hole at the palm. It smelled like something that had fermented badly. She sucked her breath through her teeth. She spoke to me in my own language, and her command of it was admirable, even if the register she chose was that of a superior. "'Fishmancer, have you a rag and water?' I tensed. "'What did you call me?' The practiced words came to my lips before I could think better of them. "'I am only an honest fisherman, and I—' Her voice snapped at me like a breaking line. "'You have three choices. Help me. Turn us out, or watch him die.' The lamp clattered louder than I intended when I put it down. I found a rag that wasn't shrieked with fish blood and filled a bowl with water. I handed both to her and then crouched nearby. You've impressive enemies. I cursed my brother silently, assuming that they are actually your enemies. Aidi ignored me. She wet the rag and held it to her lips, whispering a blessing from her own god before she pressed it to the wound. Jarede seemed torn, trying to both pull away from her touch and keep himself still, Poison seeped out and through the fabric, turning the rag that same terrible green black. She rinsed what she could from it and whispered another blessing. His body jolted when she pressed the rag to him again. River magic has limitations as stark as the walls of a stone gorge, and this was beyond them. I picked my way back across my house, over the nets that smelled of river mud and still needed mending. My cupboards held very little. Boning knives, a cup and a bowl, and several bottles of long saved vodka that I had bought the last time I dared sail upriver. I didn't want to interrupt, but I held a cup of vodka to her. Give him this, I said. She sniffed it, made a face, typical coretal, turning up her nose at anything stronger than a watered wine. I don't understand how you can drink this, she said. She gave it to Gerade despite her misgivings, and he swallowed it as if it were water. When Aidi had done what she could and Jerede slept, she sighed and looked at her hands. Dawn light crept in through the glass window, and I put out the lamp to save oil. I should have been waking now, setting out on the river with my nets. Instead, I sat in my rickety wooden chair. Even if I had another, I think I still would have let Aidi stay where she was on the floor. "'I'm sorry,' Aidi said. "'We've lost our safe houses on this side of the city, and we needed someone who might be sympathetic.' I understand why he's here, I said. I wondered how well she'd known my brother. Had she brushed hair out of his face, tried to heal him, told him he'd live, and then left him? Worse, turned him in? Why are you with him? She sighed, still holding the poison dark rag in her hands. I'm here because I disagree with our treatment of your people and have been fighting for your freedom for six years now. And what had I done? Practiced my mother's faith and magic in secret? Drank until I knew every bar and tavern owner on a first-name basis. Her silent accusation made me feel sick to my stomach. Should I be impressed? I'm doing this for all of you. I know that Najee's death must still weigh he's been dead for three years. I barely think of him anymore. She continued as if I'd said nothing, heavy on you. There is always danger in being involved, but sacrifices are required. I kept my voice down despite my anger. I could hear the neighbors waking and beginning to stir. Ah yes, sacrifices. Like his life, and mine, once they send the poison hounds to hunt him. I thought that I could heal him, and he suggested we come here. I glanced at him, and then looked back at her. Yes, here, because you'd never hide him in your own house. Curious, isn't it, that it's boys from the Saji who get the traitor's mark, not the Coretta woman who works against her own. What would you have me do? Perhaps I should walk right up to the Peace Force, and when they execute me, you'll still be slaves, but at least my motives will be beyond reproach. I couldn't argue any longer, and I hauled my tired bones out of the chair, went for the door. It was the same impulse that caused me to hide from Naje’s death, I think, as if something inside of me took over and drove me away from what I couldn't bear. Where are you going? Aidi stood, brushing dirt from her clothing. She sounded afraid, as if she believed I would do something so stupid as turn her in. Just to the river, I said. Three years ago, I couldn't watch my brother die. Venom weak, tied against the wall so he would not slump even if he could no longer stand. Was he still angry? Yes. He had always been angry enough for the three of us. Inside our late father's house, I knelt at the table carved with our family's history and drank, hoping that I would not have to hear I remember the thick poison taste of an expensive imported liqueur turning to nothing on my tongue when the rifle echoes found me. When Aisha returned, I was drink-sick on the floor, and he put me to bed like he had when Najee and I were children and father was away. He is dead for nothing unless we killed them all, I whispered. We should have helped him. Aisha sat on the side of the bed and stared at his hands. Father fought us a war, and what did that do? Najee killed in secret. More men and women than we could ever guess, and what did that do? The more we fight, the tighter our noose. I pulled the blanket over my head so he would not see me weep. For our father, for our brother, for the Saji. After that, Aisha healed any who came to him. He spoke for peace and working with our new masters, and he was everything the Coretel could have wished for. And what did that do? He died sweating and pissing himself in his bed while I sold off our belongings to Coretel, who found our history quaint After he died, I sold our father's house because I could only hear ghosts, and I drank the money away to shut them up. Even in the cool mists of a river morning, sweat beaded on my face and rolled down my neck. My boat floated near the bank, just far enough up the Saji that I was away from the city. The long saw grass whispered against the hull. I should have run as far as I could, but didn't believe I would ever be safe. I went to the river to beg forgiveness. I caught a carp with line and hook, an easy enough task. Carp were still common, but I noticed the nets that others had set out were still empty that late into the morning. A bad sign for the day's catch. However, Coretto preferred the silver trout, and in much higher quantities than we ought to have taken from the river. Their desires ruled our market, and eventually even our own taste. Better to eat the flashing trout than the bronze-colored carp, they said. Carp feet at the bottom, they said, with such certainty in their voices." Bottom feeders taste like mud. Yes, carp in the saji taste of the saji. Like home. For luck, I leaned over the side and scooped a handful of water. The silt began to settle out almost immediately, coating my hand in fine particles. I took it into my mouth and rolled it over my tongue, the familiar mineral taste a reminder that the river, my beautiful forgotten god, was all I had. I crouched in the bottom of my boat, and slid my knife over the fish, scaling it. I asked the river what I should do, and what would become of me, letting the scales land in the pattern of my fate. Reading fish scales was never my best talent, and my mother, who had taught me, had always clucked her tongue at my incompetence. I stared at the scales while sweat tickled my scalp. There was a pattern, but I couldn't understand it. I was aware of the river flowing under me, aware of the rocking of the boat, and of the river-cold carp that lay in my arms. Perhaps the river had flowed away from us, tired of our years-long neglect. Out of fear, we feigned ignorance of the old rituals, the old magic. We flowed into the empire of the five houses, like the Saji into the Coretel, silently. I slit the fish from tail to gills, pulling its sides apart. There, a thick green egg sack, a bad omen already. I offered the eggs to the river and rocked back on my heels as they sank under the boat. I closed my eyes for a moment, listening to the sound of water on wood, of my own breath and the wind flowing past my ears. I wondered if fish offered the bodies of drowned men to the sky. When I opened my eyes, the boat was surrounded by the yellow lips of a hundred carp, all gulping air and blowing bubbles. I dangled my hand in the opaque water, and the carp kissed my hand. Sucked at my fingers in search of breadcrumbs, pressed against me with their flesh and scales and the barbels on the sides of their faces. I wept, because the river remembered me. Through tears, the scales in the boat held meaning. Swim away. Fight. I tasted my fear even through the river silt in my mouth. I tied my boat and handed the clean carp to the dock owner as my payment. He grumbled at me, unwilling to admit that he had missed the taste of Saji Karp as much as I had, but I had no other catch to pay him with. He grudgingly accepted. I returned to find Jerede alone, and I was not surprised. Of course, Aedi had left him behind as soon as he had become an inconvenience. You said for certain you'd gone to turn us in for some silver, called me a fool. Every time he bought my fish, he had smiled a touch longer, and a touch more genuinely than anyone else. I crossed the room to him watched him breathe as if it required conscious effort. "'What did you do?' I asked, finally. "'Does it matter?' he asked, guilty, innocent. "'Either way, once they realize that they don't have my body, they'll send the hounds to find me, and they'll put me up against the wall. You should go.' "'There'll be a trial,' I said, though that was no solace at all. Jerede laughed, optimist. I shrugged. He shivered, and I covered him with another blanket, even though the weather was warm for spring.' I sat on the edge of the bed. The bent and rusted metal of the frame was cold against the backs of my legs. I do not know how the poison hounds are made, nor do I understand how they are so easily able to sniff out the rot of their master's poison. They are green like the water of the Coretel, and their bodies are lean and dangerous, all muscle and claw, glass and gear. They will kill me too whether I am here when they come for you, or they find me later, I said. After Naje my family has a history. Once they figure out who I am, I'm dead. Did A.E.D. intend that as well? To hand them a likely scapegoat? Silence. I looked down at him, and his eyes were closed tightly, but I could tell from the sound of his breathing that he was not truly asleep, avoiding my question. There was no sound outside that seemed unusual. Not yet. The old woman next door coughed hoarsely, alone during the day in her fallen-down house as her grandchildren attended the free school. They were learning how to be civilized, and eventually they would never come home to her again. I gave her free fish, and she pretended that the advice she gave me in river magic was nothing more than homegrown herbology. I heard stilt birds in the river, the low melodies they sing when sated, gorged on infant fish. The slamming and thuds across the street, sounds I am accustomed to. The man there drinks until he cannot stand straight. And then he imagines his dead sisters have returned from their education in the north, and he argues with their ghosts. I have not seen them in the three years I have lived here, but they send him enough money that he does not work. No, he only drinks, sometimes with me, most times alone, and he grows lean and hungry in his anger. Is this where the river has brought us? I wrote a pamphlet, Girardet said finally. That's all. They came with their poison darts, and they burned the printer's house for words, for questions. I got out, even after they shot me through with the hounds draught poison, but all the others burned. But it was not for the pamphlet that the printer was burned, that Jarede and his associates were slaughtered. No, even those who were silent have been killed. Even those who were obedient have wasted away in a city that is no longer ours. Then, in the distance, I heard the first scream go up, starting the hunt. "'The howl of a poison hound sounds nothing like a true dog. "'It is too high-pitched, as if it is made from glass grinding against glass in their throats, "'and carries far so that we might still have heard them "'if they were another district over.' Gerade held his breath. "'I gathered the blankets from my chair in the corner, "'pulled the others off him, and his eyes snapped open. "'Come with me,' I said. "'I am the last surviving brother, and I have had enough.' "'He shook his head, and I crouched to put my arm under his shoulders.' I pushed him to a sitting position, despite the sharp hiss he made when I bent him at the middle. "'You should go without me,' he said. "'I won't.' I pulled him to his feet, and he leaned on me as if his legs could take nothing of his weight. His breath came in little gasps, but he shoveled his feet the way I asked him to, and he didn't argue again. Nobody is so fond of death that they wish to wait for it in a half-rotten shack that smells of fish and vodka. We shuffled into the sunlight. Chickens pecked at the dirt near my front door. They didn't even look up at us as I carried Jerede across the road. He tried to walk, but he was too weak. He whispered, Where do you think we can go? Nobody can run from them. I pushed forward, tripping over uneven mud weighed down by Jerede's dying body. I knew it was ridiculous, that I would risk this for a man who would die anyway, just so that those who sought him would fail. When the poison hounds hunted, everyone hid inside with their doors locked. As a result, the owner of the dock was not there to give me a strange look as I dragged Jurede over warped and splitting wood. I didn't see anyone on the decks of their fishing boats, either. I lowered Jurede ungracefully into the bottom of my own boat, and tried to untie the ropes with fingers that had gone numb from fear. The howls were so close and so loud that I felt the bones of my body reverberate in harmony with them, so loud that the sound itself sliding up my belly like a gutting knife. I used my own knife and sawed through the rope, threw the frayed end into the boat and climbed in gingerly. I moved Jerede to the bow and took the bench for myself. I shoved off just as I saw the sharp glint of sunlight on unnatural green fur come around the corner of the street and sprint toward us. Five poison hounds, screaming toward us. I pulled the oars, not caring if I sent the boat floating down to the Coretel and from there out to sea, anything as long as it was away." I felt the river again, slow and deep and strong. The poison hounds scratched and screamed on the dock, pacing at the end of it, their snouts dipped low to sniff the saji's water. Their masters caught up at a run, dressed identically in the uniform of the north. They shouted commands, and the hounds leapt as one into the river, swimming at us like five green glass arrows. I rode for the bend in the river. The men knelt, and metal gleamed in their hands guns. They took aim, and I whispered a prayer to my river. The limitations of river magic may be stark as the walls of a stone gorge, but properly channeled, a river can move boulders. i had seen my mother move water before. I dropped the oars and clapped my hands once before shoving them down into the river. I thought of everything that I had lost. I thought of five bullets piercing my heart. I thought of Jerede dead of the smallest fishing boat on the Saji filled with two corpses following the current to the sea. The water bowed under the force of my will. For an instant, I could not feel the water as separate from my hand, as if there was no difference between the Saji and my flesh. An impossible wall of water formed, tall as a tree and so wide that I could see nothing around it. The wall stood for almost a minute while the current ceased to move. It felt as if the river held its breath with me. I felt the wall topple, sweeping away the dock so cleanly that there was nothing left. The wave carried the men and hounds past the mouth of the Saji and into the Coretel. I collapsed against the bench in my boat, so tired that I thought seriously about just letting us float downriver to the Coretel. Jerede slumped where I'd sat him in the bow, the nets as his cushions. I will still die, he said. Maybe, I said. Maybe not. When I sat up, I realized that we were not alone. The river was so full of carp that I thought a man could cross the river on their backs. Thank you, I said, and they vanished as one, leaving us to find our own way. Maybe the Saji will always flow where it is pointed, and always be nothing more than an addition to a larger river, overwhelmed in deep channels, lost. Or maybe the river of my people will jump her banks and carve a new route.
0: Welcome back. Mm, I love stories of rivers. Stories of people rushing along with the currents, unsure how much control they have over the water, over their lives. Stories of redemption, of being washed clean, and second chances. Whether it's like the biblical story of Naaman washing away his leprosy, or Huck and Jim on a raft on the Mississippi. How unpredictable the rivers and life can be. I love how this story tied that in from the first paragraph all the way to the last sentence. Feedback this week is for the first two-parter we've done here at PodCastle, Alibaba and the Forty Thieves, read by Steve Anderson. And since it was a single story split over two episodes, I think we'll go ahead and lump the feedback together here. Generally, people seem to enjoy this trip back to the Thousand and One Arabian Nights, although, after listening to Part 2, a lot of our listeners agreed— Morgiana, Alibaba's slave, should have had her name somewhere in the title. Devoted135 said, I just have to join in the chorus of open barley. You know, until that line, I had never connected the phrase open sesame and the sesame seed together, so it took me completely by surprise. Steve's narration was great and my familiarity with the story gave me space to ponder how the word and used to mean if how wherefore means why, and other fun word-consonant changes that have taken place over the decades. Like others, I remembered a lot of the events in the first half and had no idea what's coming next, so that's exciting. And Danuli said, Holy cow, part two was murderous, yet delightful? I can't say I've ever been aware of this conclusion to Alibaba's story and agreed that it's really more Guiana's tale, surprising and morbidly fun. Also, generally speaking, people seem to be okay splitting episodes here at PodCastle every once in a while, as long as we don't overdo it. I get the impression it's even better with classic stories like Morgiana and the 40 Thieves. Well, thanks very much for those comments. Let us know what you thought of this week's episode by visiting us at forum.escapeartist.net. And if you like what we're doing, please consider visiting podcastle.org and making a donation. Every single cent goes to paying our authors and keeping our podcast running so we can bring you the finest spices, magics, and fantasy fiction we can get our hands on. Thanks. And if you can't afford to donate, please blog, tweet, write a review on iTunes, or just tell a friend about us. They're not only like happy little gifts of appreciation for us, they help tell people who might not have heard about us all the good stuff they're missing. Thank you. That's our show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. On behalf of everyone here at PodCastle, Associate Editor Anne Leckie, Sound Producer Peter Wood, Editors Anna Schwend, and myself, thank you for letting us share another story with you. We'll be back next week with an incredible fantasy by Ian McHugh that takes place on the sea. Until then, PodCastle wants to know where the river will take you. See you next time.
1: You can discuss this episode of PodCastle or nearly anything else on our forums. Just visit forum.escapeartist.info. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site.
0: Herculitis said, No man ever steps in the same river twice, for it's not the same river, and he's not the same man.